So I'm going to say good morning and happy Pentecost to everyone. And I'm not sure that it necessarily feels like Pentecost, um, but if you, if you were here, you would look into the sanctuary and you'll see that we have the Go Big Red uh, pyramids up. My favorite. I, uh, I, red's my favorite color to begin with, but I, I love this day and uh, saw kind of a cute cartoon uh, here this week for Pentecost. And so I'll just kind of describe it to you, and you can picture it in your minds. Uh, the cartoon had um, Jesus, and then a group of people were standing around, and uh, the, the, the people were the apostles, and they had flames over their head, you know, the, the mark of Pentecost, the, the flames. And there was a kid talking to Jesus. He had a stick with a marshmallow at the end of it. And he was looking at those flames. I think he wanted to make himself a some more. And Jesus looked down at that little kid and said, don't even think about it. <laughs> I just thought it was cute. Now, on the flip side, not as cute, paradoxical, I think, is the fact that here on Pentecost, when we celebrate flames, what have we just been observing through this entire week? Flames. Um, buildings being burnt up. Uh, flames in streets, uh, rioting going on. And does the Word of God have anything to do with that? And I think it does. In fact, this morning we're going to kind of recap uh, a part of Romans 6 where we left off last week and then move forward. And I think that we'll hear some words that have a lot to do with uh, what we uh, just finished, not finished, but continue to witness going on around us in our country today. Let's pray for a moment, Lord, as we uh, gather together, we come together underneath uh, a calling that is bigger and greater than uh, any uh, call that our world would set upon us. Lord, as we uh, consider what it means to, to be your church, to be your people, uh, give us clarity of mind and, Lord, uh, a passion within our hearts. Let our fire uh, be within, and let it be a fire for people uh, that causes us to, to love people uh, with everything in us uh, to the extent that we seek out the welfare and the well-being, uh, not only physically of others, but spiritually. Lord, uh, give us your, your direction through this word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to take us to verse 12 just to recap a little bit, but let's kind of get ourselves always reoriented and remember what, what Paul is trying to do uh, in chapter 6, particularly respond to um, a charge that has been made against the Christian movement uh, by the, the, the Jews. And uh, this is significant in the sense that what Paul's been trying to do here through through the first six chapters of, of Romans, and we'll continue to, is prepare the church in Rome to, to go out and, and win uh, Gentile converts. And I'm going I'm to say this pretty simply. Uh, you, you have to know that at their very heart, like at that Splunkna gut level, uh, Jews hated Gentiles. Let's, let's just put it simply. Um, they looked at them as inferior people, apart from the law, uh, unrighteous, uh, 
unclean. And, and so <clears throat> as, as Paul is, is speaking to the church, he recognizes, I'm speaking to people who are Jewish converts. So you can convert someone from Judaism, but can I get the Jew out of them? Can I get that, can I get that hatred out of them? Can I get that prejudice out of them? Um, that's hard to do. And so he's speaking very pointedly to the church in order to help them understand, look, if you can't love people, if you can't love Gentiles, you'll, you'll never reach them, right? So he's responding to this charge that the Jews are making against the Christian church in order to, to subjugate it. And the charge very simply is this. Um, Paul, you and your Christian people talk about love, you talk about grace, you talk about peace, you talk about hope. It's all a bunch of gobbledygook. What about the law? I mean, we Jews are about the law. We're about doing what God calls us to do. And what does it mean to be righteous? Well, it means to, to fulfill the law. And, and it seems to us that what you've done here is you're just, you just want grace for everybody, including these Gentiles that we don't like. So Paul has to respond to that. He's, he's really trying to answer this question. Where does the law fit into our life? What role does it play? Have we abandoned it? No. In fact, oppositely, um, he's going to make the argument or has been making the argument in chapter 6 is you, you can't actually fulfill the law apart from what? A relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from him working inside of you to birth out this desire, this new passion, this fire to live the way God has called us to do. So Paul would say what you have as, as a people of the law is really a, 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 a pseudo passion for, uh, for God and the things of God. And you, you really, you, you're, you're the keepers of the law, but you can't keep the law. And uh, so Paul's words become pretty significant. Let's go to verse 12, and I'll just kind of recap a little bit of this. Uh, again, I find it so relevant for today. I mean, for what we're watching uh, play out in front of us on television. Um, he, he's talking about um, sin and its impact in our life. And in verse 12, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't, don't give it a throne to sit upon, right? Um, if you do put sin on the throne of your life, it will cause you to, look, look at these words, obey its passions. Um, I always come back to this word obey. And um, every time you see it, you have to think hupokuo. You have to think about it. Mean what it means. So to obey means to come under the hearing of. If you, if you put that into context, he says, don't come under the hearing of your passions. Right? What do we see happening in the streets? I'm angry. I'm mad. That's wrong. Come under your passions. And you're hearing those voices inside of you. And what are you doing? You're acting out on those. And you're acting out in a way that is counterproductive. Not, not, not all the protesters, but, but a, a number of them have. 
So I think it's significant that, that Paul reverses that in verse 13. He says, Here, here's what needs to happen. Don't, don't present your members, your, your hands, your eyes, your, your mind, your mouth, uh, your feet. Don't present them to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. What are you doing? But instead, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, you, you're, you were dead and God brought you to life. You owe him everything. And so come to a God saying, Lord, I want, I want, my, I want my mind, I want my heart, I want my mouth, I want my eyes, I want everything about me to just be placed into your hands, to use, uh, look at what he says here, as an instrument for righteousness, to bring about your rightness uh, in this world. Uh, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but you're under grace. And it's here that Paul is, is really saying something highly significant. Uh, sin doesn't have dominion over you. It doesn't rule in your life when you are under grace, when I'm within this relationship with, with the Jesus Christ, when I recognize who he is, what he's done for me. Uh, now my desire is what to is to give myself to him. Uh, I like to think of it this way, uh, and you've heard me say this before, there's a difference between uh, these two words, from and to, right? So the law is constantly calling us to move away from a particular behavior. You shall not. You shall not covet. Uh, you, you shall not steal. Uh, you shall not... Uh, you know, blaspheme, I'm going to move away from that, okay? Grace calls us to, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And what happens is, under that grace, as I move into this relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes me. It causes me to move away from uh, but you'll never move away from unless you're moving to, towards this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so really what Paul is saying here at the end of this section in verse 14 is that, that sin, sin's going to have dominion over you. You'll never be able to move away from this until what? Until you come under the grace of God, till you discover a God who is a God uh, of forgiveness and who will will change you inside uh, of a relationship. Uh, by the way, what do, what would that look like uh, in our world right now for us to present ourselves to God as instruments of of righteousness or rightness? I was thinking about that uh, here over the weekend, and I'll tell you the words that came to me. Uh, are the words that uh, God spoke through the prophet Micah um, in the Old Testament. And maybe these words will be familiar to you, maybe they won't be, but uh, if you want to look at them, I've always found Micah chapter 6 to be such a powerful uh, reminder of what it means for me to present my instruments to God, me, to God, as 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 instruments for righteousness. God, I want you to use me to bring about your rightness in this world. 
Um, and in Micah chapter 6, beginning verse 6, um, the prophet is asking a question, well, what, what does God require of me? And uh, so verse 6 says, with what, with what shall I come before the Lord and, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and calves that are a year old? Is God impressed by what I do? Do I come to him at God? I've got these young one-year-old calves. They're, do you know what these things are worth? Boy, I tell you what, they're worth a lot of money. I'm going to give them to you, God. You should be proud of me. Michael says, no. Verse 7, well, would he be pleased with thousands of rams? Or what about 10,000 rivers of oil? It's getting ludicrous, isn't it? That, that's the whole point of this language. Like, yeah, you, like you could seriously bring 10,000 rivers of oil to God. No, you couldn't. But if you could, would God look at you and say, whoa, my goodness, well done. Oh, well done. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to just really blow my socks off by what you can give to me. No, God's not impressed. He doesn't need your oil. End of verse 70. So well, what about this? What if I gave my firstborn for my transgressions? Now, what's interesting about that, this is an Old Testament statement, right? God would give his firstborn for our transgressions. Jesus Christ. Can I give my firstborn to you, God? And that's going to make the difference? No, it will not. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, you cannot. Here's what God asks of you. And verse 8 uh, is oftentimes referred to as the Micah 6-8 mandate. I, I don't read it so much as a mandate. I, I read it as a hupakuo, as I come underneath the hearing of God's word in this relationship of grace, this is what it produces in me. Now, look at the words. He says, he told you, O man, what is good. And what, what does the Lord require of you? Um, what does he require of you? But to do justice, in that kind of a beautiful word, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So again, I, I just think of, of what we're living in today and what we're watching today. And does God call us, you, you, and, you and me, to, to desire justice in this world? Well, he does. Um, you know, I always think of Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous dictum. Uh, injustice anywhere is, produces injustice everywhere and so what does it mean for me to do justice well again i don't just come up with some kind of law that's going to change the world it means i come underneath the hearing of a word of god in such a way that i i seek the justice of god in this this world today not as a work to to impress god but as a product of what god is doing inside of me so that that law grace dynamic is just so critical for Paul to get into the ears of this this uh, converted group of Jews who are the Roman church because I've got to see that just as much as God 
gave me grace, he desires me to bring that grace to those who I have grown up hating, to those who I've grown up not caring for. And it's not a matter of impressing God or doing the law. It's a matter of just living out uh, the calling that I have inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Beginning verse 15, come back over to Romans 6. Um, he uses this, this term by no means, or meganoito in Greek, a second time, and is now going to move into talking about um, the fact that I'm, I'm either going to be a slave to, to Jesus Christ, or I'm going to be a slave to sin. So, follow this, verse 15. What, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, you can hear that accusation, right? That's what the Jews are saying about Paul. Look at those Christians. They just go sin all the time. Why? Are you under grace? Do what you want. So Paul asks, asks the question and answers it. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Just sin because we're, we're not under the law, we're under grace? He says it by no means, meganoitus. The second time he said it in chapter 6, he'll say it three times. It's a pretty significant term. By no means. Heck no. Absolutely not. Verse 16, don't you know that if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one who you obey. Either sin that leads to death or obedience that leads to righteousness. I was thinking this, you're, you're a slave. Every one of us, we are. I'm either enslaved to sin and I'm listening to the voice of my passions and I serve really who? My, my father, who, who is Satan. Or, or I'm, a, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. His word produces what? Righteousness. It bursts out righteousness, that which is right. But we're all slaves. We're owned by someone other than ourselves. Verse 17 says, but, but thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, we were, we were slaves to it, have become obedient from the heart. Again, think relationship. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It comes out of the heart. It comes out of that relationship. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Always remember that Paul's favorite self-title, when people would ask him, who are you? What's your name? If, if we were meeting in the street, Paul would, would say to you, Paulus doulas Jesu Christi. I am Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he would just define himself. That's his calling card. And what he's trying to say to, to, to people is, I, I was purchased. I was a slave to, to sin. I was owned by a different father, Satan. I was owned by him. And my, my members were owned by him and were being used for unrighteousness. I was killing people in the name of God. And now Jesus Christ came into my life and put that old me to death, raised me up a new person, purchased me. He paid a price. So how, how much will this Paul guy cost me? The devil says, everything. No, really, how much? I mean, look at him. Look what he's doing. He's killing all these. But what, what, what do I need to give you to, to buy him back? Everything. 
your life for his. And Jesus Christ says, I'll pay it. He paid it for you. Paid it for me. And, and so in purchasing us, right, who owns me? Um, here's what I'm hearing people say today out in the streets. I want my rights. You ever read that in the Bible? I want my rights. I don't. Here's what Paul says. I've surrendered my rights. What are you talking about? I'm owned. Somebody owns me. He paid for me. Everything belongs to him. My mouth, my mind, my hands, my feet, it all belongs to him. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And what that's done is it's actually freed me from the burden of the law. I live under him in grace, and I'm a person of grace. Verse 19, he says, now listen, I'm, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. Um, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, that's true, isn't it? Lawlessness begets more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Um, but just bring, your, bring yourself to, to God. And what will it lead to? Uh, it will lead to a way of life that is right. Verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And that's true. <laughs> he didn't care about righteousness. He just, I want what I want. When I want it, how I want it. And by God, it goes, you better give it to me. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? I like this. I made a, a note, a side note in my Bible a while back. Um, one of my friends who um, is in ministry loves to ask people a, a question. Uh, when he meets somebody outside of Christianity and they're just kind of doing their life and I don't need God and God is blah, blah, blah and the church is blah, blah, blah. His favorite question to ask him is, how's that working out for you? You know what? A lot of people, if they get honest, they're like, you know what? Actually, not that well. That's right. Because the more you pursue the things you think you want, the more they own you. And the more empty you feel inside. And the more you try to get more and get more and get more, and, and it never fills you up. And all of a sudden, somebody stops and says, how is it working out for you? Not well. That's right. And Paul would say, I'm free from all that. I don't need anything. Take it all. What I do have is a relationship with, with Jesus Christ that will last into eternity, and it brings me great joy. And so he's asking people that question. Yeah, all this, I'm going to do the law, I'm going to please God, I'm going to show the world. How's that working out for you? Not so well. That's right. He says, for the end of those things is death. It just leads to death. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit, the fruit that you receive leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. And that just, that's just epitomizes what uh, it means to belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's what frees you in this world to not be afraid of anything or anyone. Uh, it frees me to know my life's not about what I can achieve. It's not about what I own. It's about what being in this relationship with Jesus Christ, fo following him, 
being a part of other people's lives allows me to live the freest life you can possibly, possibly live. And then he finally sums up this section with um, a verse that's become kind of a, I call it a coffee cup mug verse, right? Uh, most of us know this one. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what, that's what sin will pay you, death. And I think that death is not just uh, um, an eternity of separation from Jesus Christ. It is that. But I think there's a sense in which people who have, I mean, live apart from relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a deadness in them and uh, a sense of, I've got to try to fill this up with something. He says, but oppositely, the free gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never take your eye off of what Paul is doing here. He's preparing the church to fulfill its calling and its mission. And its mission is not about just temporal justice. Go back to Micah. His mission is about what? Eternal justice. The courtroom has been convened. The gavel is lifted. The judge is seated. Who is just? The judge is just. Who am I? Under the law, I am condemned, guilty. Under grace, under relationship with Jesus Christ, not guilty. Court dismissed. The wages of sin is death. Whether I'm living, living that empty life today or, or whether I'm um, living a life that's filled because uh, I don't need anything. I, I have all that I need. God will provide what I need. But what I mostly have is this, this relationship with a God that I will have forever. So um, that brings us to the end of chapter 6 and... Um, you know, what Paul has, has done, I think, pretty effectively, has begun to just really shape this idea of what does it mean to be owned by this way of life that is, is under the law? What does it mean to, to live this life that's shaped under a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ? Um, where I find it very helpful today, I'm going to just close with this thought. Um, I actually created a new word for you today. I'm, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> but I, really, I was thinking a little bit about, um, as you look at uh, so many of our, our young people in our culture today, you know, we say, well, where are they in relationship to God? You know, we talk about people being Christian or people being agnostic or people being atheistic. And what, what strikes me as I've been listening over the last, you know, couple of days is how far our culture has gotten away from God. And, I, and so the word that I would use if somebody said, how would you describe our culture today? And particularly young people, just, just indoctrinated, indoctrinated, indoctrinated. The word that I would use is, if I put it up here on this board here, is it has become apotheistic. Not atheistic, agnostic, but apotheistic. And apo is the Greek prefix that means from. 
And what I'm saying is we've just moved farther and farther away from God, slowly, just slowly, that it, it seems right to people for a Governor Cuomo to stand up on television and say, God didn't save us from this virus. Science will save us from this virus. And people think, yeah, that's right. Uh, or for people to think, you know what, this, this injustice has happened here in our world. We're going to fix it by going out and, and making speeches and, uh, and maybe making new laws and policies. We just moved away from God. And the reality is there can be no change in this world apart from God. And that's what Paul's saying, is you're getting the wages of life apart from God. And take a look at those wages. What are they? Streets on fire, people hating each other, um, people hiding out in fear. Any of that sound good to you? Or to, to again, to quote my friend, how's that working for you? Not, not so well. Where do you find joy? Honestly, where do you find peace? Where do you have that sense of well-being? It's not oppo. It's not away from God. It's when we move toward God or are moved toward God in this relationship and we know we're embraced and loved and in turn God is birthing out of us this desire to be a people of love and so I think today more than ever the church's voice is so necessary and yet it's so absent let's pray Lord as we uh, close out chapter 6 today um just recognize that we're living in a time that is just a royal mess. Um, I mean, we've gone from destroying an economy to now just physically burning up buildings. What in the world? I think we're receiving the wages of sin. I think we are. And Lord, you've called the church to be that voice that calls people not, not, not just to move away from things, but to move into this beautiful, transformational relationship with you. Lord, give the, the church a, a, a sense of boldness, a, a voice at the table that says, wait, there's really only one hope that we have. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Lord, as much as Paul spoke, the, spoke that into the church of Rome, we need to hear it today as the church in America. Lord, be with us in this week ahead. Look forward to uh, coming back together um, for worship, for, for some Bible class next week. Uh, we've never really been apart, but Lord, is there something good about being together? Bless this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.